Okay, we're going to do something really small but different. Uh, If you want to turn to John chapter 4, we're starting John chapter 4 tonight. And I'm not going to read it in advance. Um, I'm going to kind of like read it as we go. So John chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 to 18. Um, And before we start, I have to be honest with you guys about something. Um, So from the beginning of like abide and when God has just had these gatherings, I've been secretly praying something that the Lord would do on Friday nights. I haven't really said anything about it. Um, But I've been praying for you specifically two things. Number one, that Jesus would raise up people who more than anything else just love him. Like, I love Jesus. That's, That's what I love most. But then secondly, from that, like, love for Jesus, like, this radical, like, I want to be on mission for Jesus would happen. And you guys, I'll be honest, I've been praying that some of you guys, some of us on Friday nights, that the Lord would use Friday nights um, to send people to literally go like move to the nations where people haven't heard of Jesus before. That's actually something. So if you're like, don't pray that for me because I'm not supposed to go. I just want you to know I have been praying that Jesus would send you to the nations, to some country where people literally don't even know about Jesus. And uh, this one's even a little gnarlier, but I'll tell you another secret prayer I have. I honestly pray, you guys, I don't, maybe this is weird, but I pray that God would raise up like martyrs from Friday nights. Like I really pray that, that like people from, would hear and fall in love with Jesus so much that like I will lay my life down that other people could know about Jesus. Um, I've been praying for that, for, for this. And tonight is, um, and this story, this text that we're in, in John chapter four, uh, is, is, it's kind of perfect for that. In many ways, Jesus' interaction with this woman is, it's like a missionary story. And um, many of you maybe like wonder if you're called or if you'll go to the nations or some of you are like, I probably never will. That's, that's fine. But um, I just want you to know, I've been praying that over this sermon specifically that like literally maybe tonight, the Holy Spirit would be like, hey, like this country, this people group, I'm gonna go move and spend the rest of my life there. Um, that's radical, but like, what, we live here for like our life's a vapor and then we're gonna be with Jesus forever. And how about let's do something that's meaningful for him. Now, of course, people are sent and people are called to stay and to send and all of us are on mission for our friends and our families and our coworkers. That's a given, but um, I'm specifically asking that the Lord would do that. And then I just want you to know the Lord's doing something in our church in general, Reality Carp. There's a family, I don't know if you were here on Sunday, there's a family, uh, he's, he's like two years older than me. He's married. He's got two kids. They're about to have a baby. And they are moving to the Middle East to a country that we can't even tell you the name of the country because it's illegal for them to go. In like six months, they're moving there for the rest of their life to go be uh, like used for and by Jesus. That way, this, there's this people group they're going to where it's like one in, I, I forget the number, but like hundreds of thousands, not millions of people for every Christian. It's like one to like every hundred million or something ridiculous like that. And uh, like they could literally lose their life doing what they're doing. Like they're bringing their baby who's even born yet like over there. Um, and they were sharing on Sunday and they said, hey, there are uh, amazing scholarships in that country for American students. So listen, you maybe started college, some of you thinking like, oh yeah, I'm a graduate here. Like I'm going to pray that you transfer to this country and finish your college degree there. I'm just going to pray that. You can, you can say no to the Lord, and that's fine. Just kidding. But, you, you know, I'm praying that for you. Um, but maybe it's God's will. Maybe it's not God's will. But, but listen, what if it's God's will for you? Just, just 
Are you okay with that? Like, what if that's God's will for you? And maybe let's even, like, open hands, say, Lord, would you send me? Um, so we're going to read this story. I'm going to kind of, like, read and pause and, and, like, look at it. And just that's kind of how we're going to do it. So I'm going to pray for us before we start, and then we will get into this. Um, so let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are real and that you are good and that you are worth living for, Jesus. Thank you that you speak through your word. This is your word we are about to read, and it's perfect, and, and it's inspired, it's breathed by God. And so we just say, Jesus, have your way. You have all authority. Um, we're just sitting at your feet underneath your authority and your word. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come. You would help me just to be really faithful and helpful um, for what's, what's, what you've said. And I just ask that you would, you would do far more than in any of us could. And you would speak tonight. And you would use your word to just go really deep. And, and even, Jesus, I ask that you would call some of us. Even me, Lord, I'll do it. Call us to the nations like tonight, Jesus. We'll go. We'll do whatever you want, Lord. Would we be that open-handed with our life? It's just a vapor, Lord, and you are worth it. So would you speak to us now? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get going. So John chapter 4, going to read a couple verses. It says this. I'm reading out of the ESV. Now, when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist, although he himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So, Pause right there. If you can picture like a map, picture a square, rectangle. Judea's at the bottom of like the Dead Sea. Then there's a Jordan River and then there's a Sea of Galilee. So he's leaving this area and he's going up to Galilee, okay? So that's what he's doing. Verse four, and he had to pass through Samaria. Okay, also pause right there. Just so you know, geographically speaking, Jesus did not have to pass through Samaria. Um, Samaria was the direct route, but if uh, some of you guys know the history of Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. Uh, they were enemies of the Jews. They like mixed religiously, and in, in many ways, it, a, a Samaritan would be as if um, like how many Muslims are living in Europe right now, and they're like, they're there, but they're not really welcome there. They're very different culturally, very different religiously, and so they kind of like live in their own place, and it's like they, they live next to each other, but they don't really enjoy one another. If you hear about like France, they're like, hey, you can't wear like certain things that they would want to wear. It's like, it's hostile. That's kind of what it's like for Jews and Samaritans, and it says Jesus had to pass through Samaria, so what Jews would normally do is they would cross a river, go up, and then cross the river again so that they didn't have to pass through Samaria. So what does it mean Jesus had to pass through Samaria? It wasn't the only way. It, in fact, it wasn't normal. Jesus had to pass through because he was compelled by something. He was being led by his father. He had an appointment in Samaria. That's what, he's, that's what it's saying there. He had to pass. Like, I have to go. And it's just important to remember and remind ourselves that Jesus' love transcends all barriers of race and gender and ethnicity and religion. Jesus' love compels him to like go to places where people say, hey, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't mix with them. Don't talk to them. And in fact, in this very interaction, this is the first time Jesus explicitly says, I'm the Messiah. And he says it to a Samaritan. 
which if you know anything about Jewish history, like the whole point was it's for the Jews. It's for the Jews. Salvation's from the Jews. But Jesus is going first to an outsider in his love specifically to reveal who he is. And I just want to say, if maybe some of you, in, for some reason or another right now, feel like you're on the outside of whatever that may mean, the church, friends, whatever, uh, if, if any of you feel like you're not welcome, I want you to know that Jesus goes out of his way to be with you and to love you. That is Jesus's heart. He intentionally has to go out of his way for outsiders. And, and side note, we, if you're a Christian, you were an outsider. Like we were all Gentiles. We were all rebels of God. We were all outsiders. And Jesus in his love is like, hey, I'm going for them. And then the people of God, we are called to be like Jesus going to outsiders, be it countries, be it races, be it religions, be it sexuality, different communities, the LGBT plus community. We're like, who's on the outside? That's where I want to go. That's where I want to be. We, as the people of Jesus, are to be marked as like, man, they are always doing stuff that like you're not supposed to do. They're always going places you're not supposed to go. They're always interacting with people that you normally wouldn't want to. Now, I want to speak to something as a I'm half Mexican, but if you look at me, you don't think I'm half Mexican. You think of me as white, and that's, I understand that. I accept that. It's in my heart. But anyways, um, I want to speak to something as like a white dude, okay? Um, many of us don't even really think in terms of like, you know, insider-outsider. Many of us don't because there's this thing called a, you're in the majority culture, which just means we just have the luxury of not having to think about that, like inside-outside, because it, we're, just, we're just in. Like, I don't think about inside-outside because that's just how it goes, right? Um, so here's when I experienced this the first time pretty significantly, I don't know, recently. I was in Hawaii. And if you've been to Hawaii, there, uh, white is not the normal ethnicity there, okay? And it was the first time when I would just go into a store or a restaurant and I was like, I'm like the only white guy in here right now. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking about inside, outside for the first time. Like, I didn't used to think about that. But all of a sudden, I'm like, well, this is, I'm like, I don't feel on the inside. And that's because I all of a sudden left the majority culture, and now I was a minority in this subculture. And so when you're a minority, when you're on the outside, you probably think about it every day on some level. When you're on the inside, you're like, I don't, I don't even think about this. I don't, I don't think about that stuff. And I just think it's important for us to remember many of us enjoy some level of like, I'm, in, I'm on the inside. Um, we have to remember Jesus is compelled to like leave and go out of his way to specifically love people on the outside. Like that's on Jesus' radar. Like that is how God led him. He had to go. All right, now let's keep reading verse five. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. I think that's how you say it. Near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Okay, so here we begin to see some of uh, like, if we, like honestly, if this is perfect for us to take notes on like how to be a good missionary, how to be a good evangelist. Look at, we need to start noticing the, the little things Jesus starts to do. And he does something really interesting that we normally don't think of. Jesus goes there and then he puts himself in need. 
okay? He's like, do you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna put myself in need of this person. When, when we think, often we think in terms of missions or evangelism, we're like, hey, I have something to offer people. And that's not, not true, we do. We have the gospel. But we're like, I'm gonna go just provide for everybody, right? Like I'm gonna go provide for the physical needs and the spiritual needs of people. And so we kind of like go with this confidence, like here I am, I'm here to like serve you. I'm gonna start giving you stuff. I'm gonna start blessing you. And uh, in history, a lot of damage has been done by that in general, typically the story is, you know, someone, some Western person goes with this attitude like, man, we have the answers physically and spiritually and even culturally, and uh, we're here to radically bless you. And um, the heart is usually right, but there's often a lot of damage done in that exchange. Um, it would be like someone's showing up to your house, like, all right, let's do this. We're, we're going to do a makeover right now. Here we go. And they just start tearing things down. You're like, well, well I don't, who are you? And I like that, and okay, okay. Um, like, that's just, in many ways, it's like, okay. Jesus does the opposite. He shows up, and he's like, hey, will you help me? I need some help. I need you right now. And he says, will you give me a drink? Because Jesus knew I was an outsider. This isn't my well. And he's like, hey, could I have some of this? And we see Jesus do this all the time. When he called Matthew, he went to Matthew's house and had a party with Matthew's friends. And when he went to Zacchaeus, he was like, Zacchaeus, I have to go to your house I'm inviting myself over to your house. You're throwing me a party tonight, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is like, okay. But Jesus is like, I- I'm putting myself in need. It's pretty weird, uh, but that's what Jesus does. And it's just a note to self as we think about the need for our friends and families and neighbors and coworkers and the nations to know Jesus. We have to be willing to like humble ourselves, like Jesus and in some way like put ourselves in need of this person. Like in some way, I, I need you. Like I- I'm gonna need something from you. And then verse nine, the Samaritan is like, what is happening? The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then look at Jesus says, okay? So she's like, what are you, what? What are you doing? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Okay, Honestly, that's so random. Jesus is like, hey, give me some water. She's like, uh, what? We don't do this. And then Jesus is like, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Like he's speaking in so many codes. She's probably like, what are you saying? The gift of God? What is the gift of God? And what is, what is living water? And who are you that I'm supposed to know? Oh my gosh, if I, if I knew you. So it's pretty random, but notice what Jesus is doing. He's like starting to like turn the corner from just a physical conversation to a spiritual conversation. He's starting to like, kind of like scratch. He's starting to like put his like finger on her soul and, and make her start thinking about what? Like God, gift of God. What is the gift of God? What is living water? I know about regular water, but what's living water? And who is this guy? And why is, what is he claiming to be? And here's, here's a missional strategy note we need to take from Jesus. If we want to tell people about Jesus, we have to be willing to address like deep spiritual things. Um, and I'll be honest, that's really awkward sometimes. Like that's a random move Jesus made. Like, what are you, what? You're talking about water and now you're like living water. Like, what are you saying, Jesus? And I fear people and I want people to like me and I don't want my neighbor who lives next to me to think this guy is so weird. Um, it makes me uncomfortable. But this is love, what Jesus is doing. It is love for Jesus to bring up like deep 
eternal spiritual things. It's love. And we have to be willing to like go there to do that, like cross that awkward boundary and talk about eternal things with the people that we love. Now, we're gonna see God is in this. God was in it from the beginning. The Lord had been leading him there. And so look at verse 11, look what happens. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She's like, okay, what are you talking about? And let alone, you don't even have a bucket. You don't have, the well's deep. And then what is this living water you're talking about? But I think something's beginning to go on here in her heart. Like you can, you can notice, she's talking about normal water, but then she like asks him, like, wait, what are you saying? What is this living water? And I think what she's, she's beginning to like, we're beginning to see like this little bit of longing in her. Like, like what is this? What is this living water? What are you talking about? And even the words she says, if you look at them, are profound. She says, the well is deep. Okay, just think about that. You have nothing to draw the water with. Where do you get this water? Like she's acknowledging, like, how do you, like, I can't, I can't get what you're talking about. The well is, the, the well is deep and you have nothing to draw water with. And, and I think what is happening here is, is she's starting to like think on these things, on things of her soul. And she's like, how can you help? It's, the well's too deep. Life, like I can't, it's too hard to get down in there. And, and I want, at this moment, I think uh, she's hitting on the fact that our souls, they like run dry. And like the, water, the well's deep though. Like I can't get down there. And like, I don't have something to draw water with. And where do you get this water. And Jesus is beginning to take this physical metaphor of, I need water. And now he's like getting into her soul. And, and I just want to testify, and I think many of us could be like, yes, that like we run dry, right? Like my, our souls run dry. I, I think that's probably not just me. In Psalm 42, when David says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you, I think a lot of times like, oh, that's cute. That's, that's a cool metaphor. But like, that's not like a happy thing. Like a deer that's like panting. Have you ever been like outside so hot you're panting? It's not like a happy experience. You're like miserable. You're like tongue sticking to your mouth and you're like, I'm gonna die right now. I need water. I think our souls are like that. I think our souls, my soul gets like that. He goes on to say, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. The Bible says we are like jars of clay that are cracked and like we run dry. And Psalm 23 points out we need restoring. Like our souls thirst. And, and we like all of that like moisture in life, it just runs out. And I will say every single day when I wake up, more often than not, my soul is dry. And I'm like, man, I need water, but the well is deep, right? And then I'm like, oh, I can't even, and I don't have something to get water with. And it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm dry and I'm trying to get water and the well's too deep. I don't have something to get it with. That's a state of our soul. And so she asks him, verse 12, she's like, okay, how are you gonna get water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So they're sitting at this actual well that was 2,000 years old at the time. Just trip out on that. They did things that lasted 2,000 years. It's awesome. This well was there for 2,000 years. So I know it's still there. 
you could go see that well, and it's over 100 feet deep, so 3,000-year-old well. Just good job, Jacob, for building a well. Um, so she's like, okay, this well's been here for 2,000 years, and it's been providing water for all of us, this community, for 2,000 years. And she's saying, are you greater than Jacob? Because he pulled something off pretty awesome, like we've been drinking from this well. Are you trying to tell me you can do better than Jacob, who gave us this well? Like, I already have a well. She's saying, like, yeah, maybe things aren't great, but I already have a well. Are you trying to tell me you can do better than this? Now, here's, this is profound. We all, because we run dry, have our own wells, okay? We have these places that we go that we look for to provide and nurture and sustain us, okay? Because we run dry, every day we have these wells that we go to. Often it's other people, right? Like, man, I just need to be with some people. Oftentimes it's like our identity, like, yeah, okay, I am this, I can do this. And that like helps me through my day. When it's a bad day, you're like, yeah, but at least I can do this. At least I'm this. Some of us, it's like our gifts and our talents. At least I can pull this off. At least I'm better than them. Like that's like, I'm, when my soul is dry, we look to this stuff to nurture and sustain us. For some of us, it's like resources, or maybe it's our family, or it's our family's money. Maybe it's our connections. And here's, this is so profound. The temptation of our life is to trust that these wells are greater than Jesus. To size up Jesus and say, are you really greater than this? That's what she was doing. She's like, are you you trying to say you're better than this? Are you actually able to provide more than this well? And that's the temptation that we face every day. That's the temptation your soul faces every day. Jesus, are you really better than this? Like, I don't know if you are. I don't see it. Like the well's deep. You don't have anything to get, to get water with. How are you better than this? That's the temptation that we face. That's the temptation Adam and Eve faced in the garden. When the, when the devil was like, hey, did God really say, look, look, there's a better well over here. Try this. And it's been the same ever since. And so Jesus responds to her, verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. I just pause right there. How true is that, honestly, right? Just take the best well that you have in your life. I love this. For me, it's in and out. And it's like, oh, this is so good. Everything is right in the world when I have this. And then a couple hours go by and you're like, what the, I'm still like, I'm hungry again. I'm thirsty again. Why is this? Everyone who drinks of this will be thirsty again. But look at verse 14. This is God speaking. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow, okay, every other well runs dry. Every bit of joy and satisfaction, even a, just a good thing, it lasts for a moment. And then we have to go back to it and the thirst remains. And Jesus says, if you come to me and trust in me, you will never thirst again. Because do you know what Jesus says? He, look at what he says in the metaphor. He says, I'll give you water. And guess what the water does? It becomes a spring. It becomes like a new well. Like it, it from the inside. Have you ever seen a spring? It's 
it's magic. I've seen a spring where it's just it's like this little pool and all the rocks in the bottom are like doing this. And I'm like, what are the rocks doing? You put your hand in and water is coming out of the earth. It doesn't make sense. Honestly, it's, it doesn't make sense. Jesus is saying, when you come to me, it's not like take a scoop and drink it. It's I will create in you a spring that itself will like not run dry. In fact, it'll begin to overflow and spring up. Jesus is saying, I am different, altogether different than other wells. I'm like a spring. When I'll create a spring in you, when you come to me and trust in me, you will be satisfied and that source of satisfaction will be new life. It will be the spirit of God and it not only never runs dry, it is the source and it will just bubble up joy and pleasure. And where did all these joys and pleasures come from? They came from Jesus. And he's saying, I will be that in you. And I think this is profound, you guys. Following Jesus, salvation is not this dead, dry, religious thing. We may run dry, but we have this spring in us that keeps flowing. And there is more joy in knowing the Lord, the source of life, than anywhere else. And Listen, I wasn't really taught this growing up. I was like, yeah, believe in Jesus. Like with your brain, say, okay, I agree Jesus is real and he died on the cross for my sins. But like my heart stayed dry. If you really have found life in Jesus, there's this thing in you that like bubbles up, this joy that doesn't make sense, that doesn't come from anywhere else. Satisfaction in Jesus. And I just wanna ask you in love, the same way Jesus asked this woman, like, have you tasted that? Have you experienced that? Like this thing within you bubbling up, this love of God from the inside, this spring of living water. Have you tasted that? Have you tasted the water that is from Jesus that is altogether different? And then I'll say this, as a mission side note, we don't just want people to like, believe in Jesus intellectually. There's a place for the mind. Apologetics are good, but it's not enough. Our desire is that they would like taste and see and experience a well flowing up from within them. Something supernatural has to happen to their soul. And some of you maybe were raised believing all this stuff, but like it's just been dry. That's because you need something deeper. You need Jesus to make you new, to make your heart of stone, a heart of flesh, to fill you with the spirit of God. Now, to go on to the story, I love how she responds. Look at verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's like, yeah, I'm in. I want that. Like, who wouldn't want that? And that's what we get to offer people. This is true and it's real. Who wouldn't want that? Now, this is important. We, the story could just end there and we would think, awesome, she wants Jesus. She wants salvation. Jesus, you did it. We're done. Wrap it up. Um, Imagine telling someone, hey, all these things. And they're like, okay, I want Jesus. Give me this. Who wouldn't say yes? But look what Jesus does next. It honestly is seems like the worst missional strategy there could have ever been. She's like on the cusp, give me the water. I want this. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Okay, Jesus, what are you 
doing? Like, you had her. If you've ever been fishing and, like, the fish is right there, like, that was it. And then she's like, give me the water. And then you change the subject. And of all the subjects you're going to bring up, you bring up this, okay? Now, some of you know how this story goes, but I just want to ask you, do you remember what time of day it was? Does anybody remember? It was noon. Uh, Verse six said it was about the sixth hour. Do you know when you live in Israel and it's really hot, do you know when you go get water? The morning, right? Yep, or maybe the evening. No one's going to get water and do an outdoor activity carrying something heavy in the middle of the day in Israel. Everybody would go to the well, get their water, and go home. Now, the woman in this story was there at the middle of the day because she was not welcome or she was too ashamed to go in the morning. She had been rejected by her community. And so she would go to the well in the middle of the day when it was hot and miserable and no one else was around. And do you know what Jesus did? He's like, I want to go at noon because I have a meeting with this woman. And so Jesus is having this profound conversation and then he brings up some nasty history in her life at like the moment she's supposed to accept him. Verse 18, this is what she says. Or now let me see. Verse 16, go call your husband and come here. Verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. And then Jesus just goes there. For you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. What are you doing, Jesus? Okay, let me ask you some easy questions. Is Jesus a loving guy? Yes. Does Jesus love this woman? Yes. Did Jesus go out of his way to meet specifically this woman? Yes, he loves her and he's pursuing her good. And then he brings up her sin. Like who does this? You've been married and divorced five times and right now you're living in sin with another guy. Like, Jesus, why, why, why this? Okay, Jesus, this is interesting. And, and here's, this is so important. You cannot come to Jesus apart from dealing with this stuff. You simply cannot come and taste and see and drink without dealing with this kind of stuff, with our sin and our past and our wounds. And Jesus brings it up in love for her and for us. And I just have to say, your sexual history is not off bounds to Jesus. And he's not here trying to be like, see, I got you out of here, ha, and walks away. That's not his heart. He's not bringing this up to like just condemn her. He's doing it out of love for her because this is something that has to be talked about and has to be dealt with. Because it's not enough to simply want forgiveness and want love without dealing with like all of the reason why we need forgiveness and love. I'm gonna read you a couple verses from the Bible. Do you know the way into salvation? It's, uh, the Beatitude says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And David said, man, the way into God's kingdom is through a broken and contrite heart. You guys, the way to the love of God is through confession and acknowledging our past and present sin. That's just part of it. And I wouldn't have made that up. I would have been like, just leader to you and wrap, wrap it up. But Jesus, out of love for her, says, I want to deal with this stuff. I want to like talk about it. I want to like heal that. I want you to know that I know about it and I still love you. And so he brings up her issues. And listen, I have to say my story growing up, my whole life, I just trusted in the fact that like I got the answer right. I got the theological answer right. I knew Jesus was the right way. And like, and then I would just do a lot of good stuff for him. And I just trusted in my goodness and my service and my ministry. And, and you know what happened when I was like 21 and I was just like, oh, I'm awesome. Jesus in love for me is like, you know what, Bo? It's time to bring up your sin. And in love, he put his finger right on top of my pride and said, you know what? You are not better than other people. And the fact that you think that you are is maybe the worst sin there is. You're like in the most dangerous place in your proud state. And Jesus in love like broke me in that moment. And I had to come to terms with, man, I was doing everything I was doing for my glory in my name. And I had to repent of my pride. I had to repent of my goodness, my ministry, my good deeds. And I, I'll tell you guys this. At that moment of brokenness, never before did the love of Jesus taste and feel so good. And never before was it so real and satisfying. And side note, just never before did I realize I needed that. I wasn't thirsty before. I was fine. And Jesus in love says, I'm going to bring up this stuff so that we realize, oh. And then he says, now I want to take that away with my love and with my blood. And now notice, notice what happens in verse 17. It's really profound. Look what the woman says in verse 17. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Do you know what she just did? Do you know what she's, she's saying? She's, she's confessing her sin right there. She could be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Or why are you bringing that up? I'm, whatever about this guy I'm sleeping with. She's saying, he's not my husband, Jesus. She's being, she's being real and honest about her issues before Jesus. And, and then look what Jesus says to her. He, his response is, you're right. You're right in saying I have no husband. And at the end of verse 18, he says, what you have said is true. And do you know what I think happened at that very moment? I think that woman was born again. She like wanted it. And then she was real before Jesus and said, Jesus, I am broken. I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You're right. What you have said is true. Psalm 32, verse 2 says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, listen, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When we are afraid to like acknowledge our issues, do you know what that, do you know what that is in our spirit? It's deceit. Like it's there. It happened. And we're not bringing it up. That's deceit. And right here, we see when we are willing to be open and honest with Jesus, the Lord is like, yeah, now I'll cover and take away your iniquity. And I just want to ask you, have you been honest? You've been honest with Jesus. You've been honest with another person. Like, yeah, this is, 
this is my sin. This is the sin in my past. This is my sin like today. This is where I'm struggling right now. And listen, on the one hand, it's so intimidating. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to bring this before Jesus. But I just have to tell you, Jesus is the best person to bring your sin to because he's the only person who can do something about it. He is the best person to bring your sin to because he is the only person who is able to actually do something about it. Because in many ways, we should study Jesus and what he's doing as like we are called to be on mission. But listen, before we are a missionary, guess who we are in this story? You and I were the woman at the well. And Jesus left his convenient situation in heaven and came for you. He had to come, leave heaven, and come to find you at your own well, in your own place of shame, where you were looking to something and someone else in life. And listen, we, like this woman, we didn't go find Jesus. He came for us. He came for you. If you don't even know Jesus right now, he is, he is coming for you. He left heaven and in love came for you. And in love, he confronts our sin. And in love, he says, come to me. I have life. I will go to the cross and suffer the penalty for your sin that you could have eternal life. Trust in me and I will pour out my spirit on you. Come to me and I will give you good news of the love of God and the spirit of God. And I will put in you this, the spring that is more satisfying than anything else. And so we're going to have, um, in fact, I won't, worship team can cruise now even if that's cool. Yeah. Um, we're going to do something. I just want to specifically invite us to do a couple of things as we, as we sit with Jesus, like at our own well. Two things. Number one, I want to invite all of us, no matter who you are, no matter what your situation is, I want you to like be real with Jesus right now. Um, Jesus, like if you're here, it, it feels like you came and you did, but like Jesus is pursuing you, all of us in love. And I just want to invite you and encourage you to just be real with Jesus about your sin about like, it could be sin from like your childhood. It could be ways you've been sinned against. The areas of your, your shame, the areas that you're like, I don't, I, I gotta go at another time so people don't see me. Like, let's talk about that stuff with Jesus. And let's even allow him to like put his finger on that and be like, I know about that. And I love you still. And I love you and I came to forgive you of that. Specifically, uh, Let's deal with our sexual sin with Jesus right now. Um, we're going to have, we have communion up here f- to remember that Jesus was broken and bled for your sin and my sin. And we just have these carpets out here for you to like just get on your knees, get on your face. You can go to any row you want and just be with Jesus. And then I want I to invite us to do something else. Um, once we've like been real with Jesus, um, I just want to encourage us to like, to love and minister to one another. Um, confession, dealing with our sin is so powerful when it's done with another human being. That's part of how God designed it. It says, confess your sins. Um, we're gonna have a, a prayer team up here that if you don't really know anybody or you don't want to share with somebody you know, these are safe people who love Jesus. Um, and then I just want to remind us 
Um, as we even last week talked about Saul and God's word, he gives the spirit without measure. I believe there's like such opportunity for us to minister to one another as we spend time in God's presence. Um, there's room for the spirit of the Lord to be here. There's freedom. Uh, the Bible talks about like prophecy and healing and visions and tongues and prophecies. Like that's in the Bible. And I want us to feel free to like love and minister to one another tonight. There's freedom to do that. Uh, like there's freedom to like get a group of people, get somebody like, will you pray for me? Or if the Lord, typically what happens is the Lord puts someone on your heart and you're like, all right, I gotta, I gotta obey this. I wanna be faithful. So I want there to be a lot of freedom tonight. Um, and then I'll be up here somewhere. If, if you even feel like you have like a word from the Lord for the group, you can come find me. More often, I think it's like for a specific person. But anyways, I want there to be freedom for us to like really love on one another and be honest with one another about those things that we are ashamed of. So I'm gonna pray for us. And then like, let's just press in and let's be with Jesus right now. Jesus, you are worthy and you love us so much you would leave your throne to come and get in our business in love. Jesus, I just pray against the accuser. I pray against the enemy. God, we were already condemned in our sin and you came that we would have life and forgiveness. We start in a bad spot and yet you come, Jesus, with good news that you love us and you've made a way for us to be forgiven. So Jesus, as we even feel your spirit, like just kind of putting a spotlight on some things we don't want to think about or deal with, would we receive it as your love for us, as an invitation to admit and confess and get rid of that and drink from a better, deeper well? Jesus, I pray that you would minister to those of us who just feel really ashamed something we've done, something that's been done to us. Jesus, thank you that you were publicly humiliated on the cross and you took our shame. And if we put our trust in you, we are now clothed in your righteousness and and we're like clothed with these new robes. Jesus, we don't need to be like covering ourselves up anymore. Like we're covered in you. We're beloved sons and daughters. And so would there be freedom today to talk about those areas of shame that that we're, we're hiding? And Holy Spirit, I just ask that we would not quench you tonight, that there would be freedom to be with Jesus and to love and minister to one another. Tonight, God, I ask that you would use and speak through the gift of prophecy, that you would use and, and he, use uh, the gift of healing and that miracles would happen, Lord, emotional, physical stuff, Lord. I, I ask that your spirit would be here. There'd be freedom to worship you and press in to your presence. And Jesus, we just say, have your way in us. We want this water. We're tired of going to other things and being unsatisfied. Have your way. Thank you for your love for us, Jesus. We want to meet with you now.